me, I'm Michelle. And I'm Dana Marie, and we are Empowered to Advocate. Our goal is to help parents and caregivers uh, navigate the often confusing special education process so that they can become the best advocates for their children. Tune in every Friday for your tip, tool, or strategy that can be implemented right away so you feel confident and empowered to be the best advocate for your child. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Empowered to Advocate podcast. This is part three of our series on student voice. In the last episode, go back and catch it if you haven't done so yet. We talked about um, 14 to 22-year-olds mostly, but starting at age 14, how to include students in the IEP process and in their special education programming. And today, we're actually going to work backwards, and we're going to talk a little bit about those middle school friends, which um, I talked a lot during the last episode because I primarily work with those 14 to 22 year old students. But in this episode, you'll get to hear a lot from Michelle who has worked with middle school students for uh, over 20 years, actually at this point, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong (laughs) in one capacity or another. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. she is for sure the expert here on those middle grades. And we're gonna talk about how, when you do get a little bit younger, how we still include those students in their IEP meetings, in the IEP process and in their programming. So with that, I think, I guess my first question is, what is the difference? What are some differences between including students when they're maybe in grades fifth through eight versus when they are in high school and beyond? So I think the really big differences is that including students in their process um, or getting their input or their vision is not necessarily something that teams think of. This includes the educators on the team. This includes parents and caregivers. Um, It's just, you know, we're going to go in, we're the parents, we're the teachers, we know best. And this is not in saying this in any sort of judging way. Um, If you don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I do find that once educators and caregivers like really experience the power of having the child more involved in their process, it's a total mindset uh, shift. And it's like, oh, this is such a valuable part of this process. And middle school's um, a very fun time for human beings, right? And um, there's like, I like to think of middle school kind of in like these two chunks. So we have seventh and eighth grade Mm -hmm. where you might actually have some students who are 14, Mm -hmm. or turning 14 in the life of their IEP, so 13-year-olds at the date of their meeting, they still legally need to have a transition plan. This does not necessarily mean that they, if they're 13, have to be invited to their meeting. Right. But we are still creating a transition plan, which means they need to be involved in the development of that transition plan. So in seventh and eighth grade, there's a little bit more awareness of this piece, but sometimes, unfortunately, it can feel like a oh no, I forgot about the transition plan. Oh no, I didn't realize that they were going to be 14 and this needed, it's like an afterthought. So I find it super valuable to really start this process of including students' voices as young as kindergarten. I'm at a K to eight school. So because then it's just commonplace. It's not an afterthought. It's, you know, 
it's just happening, right? And for those 13 and 14-year-olds in middle school um, and even 12-year-olds, already starting to ask caregivers and the students themselves if they want to come to their meetings. So Mm -hmm. I typically check in with the parents or caregivers first, see where they're at, because some students don't realize that they might know that they get some extra help from Mr. So-and-so, or they go to speech therapy, but they don't, may not actually know that there's even like a legal document called an IEP that is helping to provide those services for them. So I like to make sure that there's a conversation with the caregivers about how they would like to have a conversation with their child about their disabilities. Um, because that you, you do want to approach this with caution, right? Because there is a lot of stigma um, mm. around having a disability, because unfortunately we live in an ableist world um, where folks with disabilities are oftentimes stigmatized. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we're approaching this um, from a frame of, you know, you depending developmentally how old the child is, you have some challenge, you have these really wonderful strengths. You also have some ways that you learn a little bit differently than what traditional school would expect us to be learning in. And this is a document to just help you as a unique learner learn in the school with everybody else who also all have unique learning needs because we all have unique learning needs, whether we have a determined disability or not, right? Mm -hmm. So um, having conversations with your child if you're a caregiver, and I also think from the educator side, making sure that part of your curriculum and your content, you're always weaving in different learning styles, different disabilities that humans with disabilities have always existed and exist and are all around us. And that's, I'm not saying like go in and be like, Dana Marie has a learning disability. We need, this is how she learns, right? Like we're not like targeting (laughs) and like outing kids um, when their disabilities in our discussions, but reading books about students with disabilities, reading, having conversation, having all kids take a learning style survey to see what they feel is their preferred learning style. I think that information is really important for all students, not just kids with disabilities. So getting students involved as young as possible into learning more about how they learn. You know, what's interesting, I was just thinking of something while you were talking, I actually feel like that those middle school years are, are kind of lost in this way, because mm. we're going to talk more about this in the next episode. But with younger kids, I actually feel like we do this more. Like you said, we read stories um, during whole class readings. We have books with different children with different abilities in them. We use social stories a lot more in those younger grades, especially for young kids with communication challenges. I, I feel like when students, when kids are in those like K through three, we actually talk a little bit more about ability and about differences more than we do, I think, when we get to middle school. And so it's almost like we focus on 
opening up those conversations when kids are younger. And then for whatever reason, and this is sort of a blanket statement, but whatever reason it feels like it falls off in those middle grade years. And then, like you said, we kind of pick it up again when kids get to high school. We're like, oh, no, we got to include them. We got to invite them. They're 14. <laughs> All, it's it's really interesting to think of it that way, you know. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that a lot of the stories that we also read tend to be about humans or adolescents um, with really significant mm. disabilities mm-hmm. and or very visible disabilities. Mm. And that tends to be who we're like, almost like exceptionalism mm-hmm. of disabilities. Um, yeah. And there is not necessarily a lot of conversation about students with dyslexia or dyscalculia, right? Or ADHD. Um, It's more... Those hidden hidden disabilities. Yeah. 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 So, um, and those kinds of disabilities that sometimes also don't really impact a student Mm -hmm. until in a really noticeable way until middle school when a lot there's, you know, a lot more executive functioning challenges and demands. We're now reading to learn, not learning to read. Mm-hmm. So where these disabilities might, like determinations or diagnoses might be really new to, for the student and for the families as well to be navigating and learning them. So yeah, middle school. Middle Such school. Such a fun so, time. <laughs> so what can we what can we do? Whether you're a parent or caregiver or your teacher or somebody on a school team, maybe you're listening, you're an SLP or an OT or somebody who works with that population of kiddo fifth through eighth grade. How can we ensure in those grades and at those ages before that age 14 kicks in, how can we ensure that they are included in the process, in their meeting, in their programming? How can we make sure that we're making space for them at that IEP table? So I think the first thing is having at least one team member. Usually it's a liaison. It might be the special ed teacher. It might be the SLP. Working in collaboration with the caregiver on how to approach this with the child Um, and having ongoing conversations, lots of one-on-one conversations um, during sessions, I think are important. Um, Again, like quick surveys or even um, like self-assessments after a project or after writing an essay or after turning in a math worksheet or something. How did you feel about this? What was hard? What do you think would have been more supportive for you? Because this is the other thing. We talk a lot about like what the student interest is and what the vision, like what their goal is. Um, We want to do that with middle schoolers as well. I mean, most of them say that they want to be YouTube stars or something, you know, in Hollywood or on a sports team. And that's super developmentally normal, but that's still what they want to do. Absolutely. Still tuning into, well, what kind of skills does a YouTuber need to have? What, where, where is your strength? Oh, you're really good at verbal conversation, but maybe you feel a little weird presenting in front in the camera. Well, if you're going to be on camera, what are some skills that we can learn 
to better to be a improved presenter, right? So we can turn any goal or vision that a student has for themselves into ap applicable skills that they're learning in school and into the curriculum, I feel. For sure. <laughs> and we have talked now in both the last episode and in this episode about surveys, questionnaires, interest inventory, sort of preparing students ahead of time. Um, so I just want to give some examples of some actual questions that you can ask mm. to maybe start this conversation. You don't necessarily have to ask all of these questions, but some questions that as either a caregiver or a parent or as a teacher or somebody on a school team, you can start the conversation, whether it's in writing in a questionnaire or just in a conversation with the student preparing for the meeting. So what is your vision for after you graduate from high school? Do you want to go to college at this point? Do you want to go straight to work, join the military, a trade school, something else? Transportation is something we talk about. How do you currently get around? Does your parent usually drive you? Do you take the bus to and from school as they get older? Do you take public transportation? Do you walk places by yourself or with a group of friends? What do you envision for transportation in the future? Time flies by. Will you want to get a license? Will you want to start studying to get your permit or license in the next couple of years? Where do you see yourself living as a young adult in a college dormitory, in an apartment, alone, with friends, with a roommate, with family members? Do you see yourself living locally? Do you want to stay here or would you like to explore another part of the country or somewhere else in the world? What kind of work do you see yourself doing in the future? Middle school is not too early. Like Michelle said, you might get answers like YouTube star and NBA player, and they might not be totally realistic for that student, but they're also developmentally very appropriate visions <laughs> for the future. But what kind of work do you see yourself doing in the future? If you're not sure, what are some of the activities that you like to do now that might let us know a little bit about what interests you, right? So maybe you're saying that you want to play in the NBA because you really just love basketball. You love being around your friends and being on a team. But are there other things in that industry that you can do? Would you want to be a sportscaster? Mm. Would you want to coach a team? Would you want to be an athletic trainer? So just really starting those conversations early, even if the answer is YouTube star. Would you want to have your own podcast one day? Would you want to be a writer or work in journalism or something like that to just get those, those skills to the forefront and some of those interests the things that that student really would like would like to do and michelle i i already know what you're going to say but just as a reminder to folks <laughs> what when is too early to start having those conversations it, never too early yeah never too early yeah. and i think it's also something to have a conversation with students about too is where do you see your strengths where, what is really challenging for you? What makes it challenging for you? What things are helpful for you? And this is particularly important in middle school because this is when we also start to see where the SLP or the OT, especially um, students are like, why do I have to keep being pulled? Mm -hmm. I don't want to miss whatever I'm, you know, all the other kids are doing X, Y, and Z at this time. Why do I have to go see this person once yep. a week? Um, why I don't like going to academic support. I don't find that it's helpful or, you know, whatever. And then 
giving them the space to learn how to be advocates for themselves and express what is helpful for them and what's not helpful for them, because then there's going to be honestly more buy-in for the things that like we might actually know is going to be helpful for them. They just might not realize it now. But if something, if they're not, if they're feeling a certain kind of way about a service or an accommodation that they're receiving and it's not working for them, then mm -hmm. it's not going to be helpful for anybody <laughs> during the day. And one of the things that comes up sometimes is with like state testing accommodations and, you know, IEP teams, we really want to make sure that we're giving students an equal chance to mm -hmm. be successful on these um, high stake tests. So sometimes teams can get a little, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, a little overzealous mm -hmm. with the accommodations for state testing. And this is something, this is, this is, it's all going to tie together. Hold, stay with me here, folks. Um, it'll be MCAS time in Massachusetts and a student will be like, why are you pulling me out of class for this test? I don't want to go with you. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Right. It might be sometimes I'm pulled to administer testing and somebody's mm -hmm. like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Like why I'm not going with you into this small group to do my, <laughs> like I want to stay with the class. And then it turns out that like they haven't necessarily been being pulled all year for testing and it's not a necessary accommodation for them. They don't want it. It's they don't think it's helpful for them, right? Um, and I'm going to preface this that any accommodation that a student is receiving for state testing needs to be something that they have been receiving throughout the year. It can't be something that's just for the state test. And this is one of the reasons for it, but this is for right. another episode. <laughs> but a student being able, like having a conversation with a middle school student, is it helpful for you to go into a different room? where it might be a little bit more quiet or less distractions in the room, or is it actually more distracting yeah. for you to go into your English class, get settled, and then have somebody say, we're going to take the test in my room. Sometimes that's more disruptive for a student's focus and frame of mind. So having that conversation with them about what is more helpful is going to be really useful to make sure we're not just like, throwing all the accommodations out there. It's just not necessary um, and can actually be really harmful um, and not helpful. For folks looking, whether you are a parent or caregiver or a part of a school team, for folks looking to start including middle school students in a way that's not super overwhelming and in a way that feels like starting pretty easy, let's have this be the way. Share the mm -hmm. accommodations in their IEP with them. Sit down, if you are a liaison, a special education teacher, general education teacher, a parent, and you can sit with your child, with your student, and go through that list of accommodations. Something simple they could do is highlight the ones that you feel like are helpful for, for you. Mm -hmm. Leave the ones blank that you feel like aren't, and then let's maybe have a conversation about those ones. Or check off the ones that you think are helpful. Is there anything here that we missed? Sometimes we wait and we ask students that question during the IEP meeting, they've not had time to really think about it. Um, those are questions that might be difficult to answer, obviously, on the spot. So beforehand or after, if, if you need to, that's a really good entry point into a conversation about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. Take that list of accommodations, not just testing accommodations, but accommodations in general that are part of the IEP and go through that list. A middle school student has 
enough self-awareness to be able to give you a little bit of insight into some of those things that are helpful or not helpful to them. And that feels like a not super overwhelming entry point into including them in that conversation. You don't have to give them the entire IEP up front if they're in fifth or sixth grade and say, read this, get back to us. Mm-hmm. But giving them that list of accommodations, sitting with them, going through it together might be a good conversation starter to see how they can contribute to the conversation. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really good place to start. And if you are an educator, I would say that before whipping out the IEP, especially in fifth, sixth grade, just having a conversation with the caregiver beforehand, like mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to start talk. I want to have a conversation. Have has you had a conversation with your child about their disability, about having an IEP, you know, and some parents, um, will say, I prefer to do this. Is it, you know, and so again, pulling in that whole IEP teams are teams. Teams. It's a collaborative process, right? It's the educators, it's the therapists, it's the caregivers, and it's the students. And when everybody can work and communicate together, that's when the magic can happen, right? It can. I'm so glad that we pulled this middle school group into their own episode because I do feel like sometimes we forget about them. I do. I I feel like sometimes we talk about our our 14 plus kids and then we talk about our little guys and kiddos and we just sometimes forget our middle school friends. So I'm really happy that we we separated them out. I am so excited for the next episode. I love talking about our little kiddos and our our younger friends and how they can be a part of this process as well. I'm super, super looking forward to, well, we'll keep it short still, but I think that Michelle and I (laughs) could both go on and on and about what to do with our pre-K, K K through fourth grade friends, but we're really excited to share that with you in the next episode. So thank you so much for listening today, wherever you are listening. We love it when you drop us a line, either by emailing us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com or by showing up on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, really anywhere you find us. We love to hear your comments. We would love to get your questions. We still do have a couple episodes left in this series. We want to get your questions. What questions do you have about including students, young people in their IEP process? So drop us a line and join us next week for our episode on kindergarten through fourth graders in the IEP process. Yay. Thanks so much, everyone. Listening to our podcast or participating in one of our live webinars or sessions, you acknowledge that Empowered to Advocate provide thoughtful, comprehensive, and data-driven coaching and advice. By participating, you understand that this service is not legal advice, nor does it constitute legal services. It is understood that E2A is serving in the role of coach and consultant to you on your child's behalf. In participating or listening, the parent or caregiver understands that there are no guarantees of success in obtaining the outcome desired by the parent or caregiver. The parent or caregiver agrees to hold empowered to advocate and any coaches working with them harmless with regard to the outcome of meetings, services, hearings, etc.
Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope that what you just heard is easy for you to understand and you are able to go ahead and implement it and take action right away. We always love to hear from you and how things worked out for you or what questions you have. Please email us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com or visit us at empoweredtoadvocate.com and schedule your 20-minute consult with us today so we can find out how we can best support you to best support your child. See you next week.